Recently, I was on a flight about a month ago, and the man sitting next to me, venting about his life, said this, I'm 60 years old, and I don't even know who I am. I've had a successful career, but I'm bored. Don't have many friends. There's really no hobbies I enjoy. I've never really done anything bad in life, but I've also never really done anything great. Never, th- never done anything really exciting that comes to mind. I'm just not happy with the man that I've become. After all, I thought life had more to offer. In one way or another, we all feel this burden at some point in our lives. We look back at our lives or we look currently at our lives, whether we're 16 or we're 76, and we look at our lives and at some level we go, is this all that life has to offer? For some of us, you just look back at your career and go, it was successful and I did a a lot of things, but am I any happier? Am I any different? You look at the current circumstances of your life and you go, is, is this it? And we live with that burden every day from the time we wake up, from the time, moment we get out of bed in the morning, life is screaming at us saying, you haven't done enough, you haven't become enough, you haven't earned enough, you haven't succeeded enough, you haven't yet become the person that you thought you could be. And really, ultimately, what we're longing for is a new identity. What's an identity? It's the fact of who you are. And every day at some level we wake up in the morning and we go, I'm just not content with the fact of who I am. All of us long for something more. We long for something different. We long for a new identity. And the promise of Christmas, the promised one that comes at Christmas is the one that actually can make that longing, that deep down inside your heart longing come true. And we read about it here. We read about this promised one here in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the story of a suffering servant. And it's a suffering servant. It's a prophecy about Jesus Christ, as I mentioned, that was written 700 years before he was born. But it's a prophecy about the promised one that will come as a suffering servant, as a lamb, that will come to stand in your place, to make you a new person. The promised one who is portrayed here in Isaiah 53 as a suffering servant who comes to suffer on our behalf. And there's two big ideas. We could spend an entire month on Isaiah 53, but there's two big ideas I want us to draw out of the passages that were read this morning. Because I believe that the two big ideas that we see here in this passage are the two things that we ultimately long for in life, forgiveness and favor. Forgiveness and favor. Where do we see forgiveness here in Isaiah 53? We see it in verses 4 through 6. The substitute, the suffering servant here in Isaiah 53 provides us with forgiveness. What does it say? He is the one in verse 4 that bears our grief and carries our sorrows. Verse 5, it says he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. What is it telling us about this one in Isaiah 53? It tells us that this suffering servant willingly willingly volunteered to take upon himself our iniquities, our sorrows, our griefs. He takes on himself the burdens of sin. He takes upon himself our iniquities, our transgressions. 
And the reality is this, for those that long for forgiveness, that those that long for regret and shame and guilt to be wiped away, for those that carry the burdens of, of their sin and of their shame and of their guilt, the promise here is that ultimately you're longing for full and complete forgiveness. And the only way that you can have full and complete forgiveness is through the one that says, I will take on the sorrow. I will take on the burden. I will take on the grief. I will take on the iniquities. The only way you can truly experience forgiveness in this life, true forgiveness, complete forgiveness, is through another one carrying the burden for you. Another one literally taking your sin and your transgression and your iniquity off of you and carrying it and putting it upon himself. See, the suffering servant here who stands in your place as your substitute offers you complete and full forgiveness. But he not only offers full and complete forgiveness, in light of what he does, in light of his suffering, in light of taking our sin and transgression upon him, Jesus Christ, as the suffering servant here in Isaiah 53, also provides us with favor. Where do we see that? Verse 10 and 11, yet it was the will to crush him and put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, it says that, that the suffering servant actually becomes an offering a real sacrifice, a real offering. Why? Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, out of the anguish of his death, out of the pain of his death, out of that offering and sacrifice, what will happen? He shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, the righteous servant, do what? Make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. You see, in life we not only we not only long for complete and full forgiveness, but we also long for favor. We also long for one to come into our life, to look at our life, all of the good, all the bad, all the ugly and say you are approved. You are accepted. You have favor. And see, the promised one that comes, the promised one that is spoken about here in Isaiah 53, not only forgives you and offers forgiveness, but it says that because of his work, you are accounted righteous. You are credited with his righteousness. What's righteousness? What's the righteousness of God? What is the righteousness of Christ that we are credited with? It's simply his obedience, his perfection, his life. Think about what has happened. That God looks down for those that are in Christ and not only forgives, but he says, I have favor upon you. I approve you solely based on the righteousness of his son, Think about the miracle of Christmas, that one has come and has taken your sin and your burdens and your sorrows and your griefs and in exchange has given you freely the righteousness of Christ. So that when God looks down, he sees his son's perfect obedience and perfect life and perfect righteousness. What an incredible exchange that is. So that when God looks down, he sees us and goes, 
you are approved. You are justified. I have favor upon you. Isaiah 53 is ultimately the story of Christ coming as our substitute, standing in our place. And this will change everything. This will forever change my relationship with God, knowing that he looks down upon me and sees the righteousness of his son. This will forever change my relationship with others. Why? Because now the righteousness of Christ has covered me. Now the Christian life is a life that manifests the righteousness of Christ. See, the work of the fruit of the, of the work of the Spirit in you is to produce fruit. Where's the fruit? The fruit is the righteousness of Christ being manifest within you. So that the way I love and the way I talk and the way I live, the way I serve, the way I respond with everyone in my life, the righteousness of Christ is being manifested in my life because the righteousness of Christ has been freely given to me because my sin and my debt and my sorrows and my grief have been removed. Boy, it sounds like a new person. It sounds like the person we long to be, but on our own efforts we can never become. It sounds like a new identity. See, the suffering servant who will later be fulfilled in the person work of Jesus Christ is a story. It's only this story that can change your heart and change your life. And we'll see a life that is radically transformed and changed later in the scripture. And it's in Acts chapter 8. Turn there with me briefly this morning. And it's in Acts chapter 8 that we see this passage show up again, Isaiah 53. And we see it in the story of of the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's in Acts chapter 8 starting in verse 26. And we see this man who's known as the Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch is from the edge of the known world at the time. He's from a region to the south of Egypt, and it's the southern edge of the known world. And he's not only an outcast, and he's not only a foreigner, but he's a eunuch. And a eunuch was forbidden to come to the temple. He was considered unclean. He was a man that was physically altered and considered defiled and deformed not able to have any descendants, not able to have any children. So not only was he a foreigner, but he was considered an outcast in this society according to the Jewish laws and customs. And in in Acts chapter 8, it says that he had traveled from his homeland all the way to Jerusalem to worship. That's about a thousand-mile journey, a long journey, a difficult journey, a dangerous journey. But it says in Acts chapter 8 that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. But here's the reality. He can't worship. See, what happens when the Ethiopian eunuch more than likely gets to the temple to worship God, he's turned away because he's deformed, because he's defiled, because he's considered unclean. And he's on his way home. And what is he reading? He's reading the passage we read this morning. He's reading Isaiah, and that's where we pick up. In verse 30, 
We're introduced to a man by the name of Philip. Philip is a deacon. He's an evangelist. And Philip is called to go meet this Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot. And in verse 30, it says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In humiliation and justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch, eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else, and Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip is reading Isaiah. You can imagine how dejected he is. He has spent his entire adult life dejected. He has spent his entire adult life saying, you are not worthy. You are not worthy to enter into the presence of God. And then when he finally travels a thousand miles to Jerusalem, he's turned away. You're not even worthy to enter into the temple. And you can imagine him sitting there on the side of the road dejected. And you can imagine him reading this passage this passage of a suffering servant and saying to Philip, who is this? Who is this man? And you can imagine the expression when he says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And later in the passage here in Acts chapter 8, We read that he converts, we read that he is baptized, but at the very end, what happens? In verse 39, it says, and when they came out of the water, the water for baptism, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Why do you think he went away rejoicing? Well, he was reading Isaiah, right? He was reading the scrolls of Isaiah. And I got to believe that as, as he was reading Isaiah, that he was not reading just Isaiah 53, but eventually he would get to Isaiah 56. And as we close, look at Isaiah 56 this morning. Because it's in Isaiah 56 that the Ethiopian eunuch would eventually get to, and this is what it says. Three chapters after Isaiah 53, Isaiah 56 verse 4 For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Isaiah 56 pronounces to the eunuch, the man who's deformed, the man who's defiled, the man that has been considered an outcast, that is not even worthy to enter into the temple of God that through the work of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, and by entering into a covenant relationship with me, you will not only be able to come into the temple, my house, but within my house, my temple, there will be a monument. Are you kidding me? This man that was just turned away from the temple of God through a relationship with the suffering servant, a relationship with God, an everlasting covenant, will now have a monument within the temple that he will be even greater than the royal priesthood? Yeah. And that's what the promised one does. He does crazy things like this 
that make us wonder, how can this be? How can this be? Wow, this is the work of the substitute on my behalf. A new name, a new identity forever. Christ's perfect life standing in your place so that you can have a monument in the temple of God, in the house of God forever. This morning I ask you, do you sit there like the Ethiopian eunuch, crushed and defeated? But here this morning and maybe for the first time going, can this be true? It is. And as I mentioned last week, it's so simple. The Gospel of John says, to all that believe in him, who's him? Jesus. To all that believe in Jesus, what happens? He gives you the right to become a child of God. And that promise can be yours this morning. Do you know him? Do you believe in this one? who lived for you, who died for you, and rose from the dead for you so that you could become a child of God. He can be yours this morning. I'll close with this. Grapevine, Texas. There was a football game a few years ago. Faith Christian School, big powerhouse football program, 70 students, state-of-the-art facilities. They hosted a football team by the name of Gainesville State. But Gainesville State, the visiting team, had no visitors. Not one visitor. So what the coach of Faith Christian did is all week leading up to this big game at Faith Christian, he recruited 200 parents and students to sit on the visiting sideline, to sit up in the stands. And he made each parent, each parent and student memorize the names of the other team. He also got 10 cheerleaders to stand on the visiting sideline to cheer for the visiting team. They made banners that the kids could run through. They formed a tunnel as the, as the kids got off the bus and ran onto the field. At one point during the game, there was more fans and cheering on the visiting sideline than on the home sideline. They have to understand one thing about this visiting team. They had never won a game. They had scored zero touchdowns. They had shoulder pads that were seven years old and out-of-date helmets. And at the end of the game, the families had even provided them a dinner, hamburgers and french fries and hot dogs and sodas and candy. And if the story doesn't make sense to you this morning, it's because as they walked off the field... Each one of those boys was handcuffed and led back on the bus. You see, those boys, their home was Gainesville State Penitentiary. They were in juvenile detention for armed robbery, assault, and drugs. One of the boys on the visiting team said, when we normally get off the bus, people look at us like we are the scum of the earth. But not tonight. People actually cheered for us. People cheered for us by name. At the very end, the visiting coach walked up to the head coach of Faith Christian and said, every day 
these boys wake up and the world tells them that they are losers. But for one night, just one night, they were winners. You will never know what you have done for these boys. You'll never know. But we should know. Because that's exactly what Christ has done for us. The winner has become a loser. So that the losers could become winners. Christ has borne our sin and was forsaken by God. So that we forever might be accepted as sons and daughters of God. That is the promise this morning for those that believe, for those that have faith in Christ. God looks down on you this morning and the very God of the universe, for those that are in faith, sees his very son. And that is good news.